good to see you this morning. If you will, take your Bible. We're going to uh, be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, but we'll, we'll bounce around uh, to some other places as well this morning. And I do want to talk to you on the subject of uh, living in the last days. Let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. God, I pray now that you will be with me. God, touch my lips. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight because you are my strength and you are my redeemer. God, I pray that you will bless this message, this difficult message that must be communicated. God, help us to take your word. Help us to understand it. God, help us to apply it. Whichever way we need to apply it to our own lives individually, help us to be honest with you today, God, about where we are spiritually. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it all, in Jesus' name. And we pray, amen and amen. You know, more than 2,000 years ago after Jesus said these words, he said, Surely I come quickly. We find in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, the very next, the next to last verse of, of the Bible that John's prayerful response was, amen. The first thing he said was, amen. He was like in agreement. Yes, Lord, come on, come on. But then John said, even so come, Lord Jesus. You know, John believed that he was living in the last days. If we look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I believe that the Apostle Paul, he believed he was living in the last days. When he talks to people about Christ, when he's writing to the church at Thessalonica, he's trying to encourage the church about Christ's return and, and their subsequent rise, the dead rising in Christ first. And, and then he says this in, in verse number 17, he says, Then we which are alive and remain. He thought he was living in the last days. He says, hey, you and I, when we, when we, those of us who are alive and remain, he thought he was in the last days. In fact, if you look over at 2 Peter chapter 3, the apostle Peter, he thought he was living in the last days too. Because in verse number 12 of 2 Peter chapter 3, he says these words, he says, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. That word looking is used in the present tense. My point is this. There have been folks down through the corridors of time, people, men and women, that have believed that they were living in the last days. In fact, you guys are aware, I'm sure many of you are aware, that there have even been people who have made predictions. They've predicted, oh, the Lord's coming back, the Lord's going to do this. Which to me, I'll be real honest and open with you, I think it's kind of ludicrous because Scripture tells us, actually it tells us in Matthew chapter 24, verse number 36, that no one knows the day. Not even the angels, not even the angels know when the Lord will return. But we do know from Scripture that Scripture does give us some evidences of the last days. In fact, one verse later, the Bible says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. In Luke chapter 17, verses 28, 29, and 30, the Bible teaches us that the day of the Lord, the day in which He returns, will be like the day when Lot left Sodom. You remember what that day was like? The angels told him, Don't look back. 
Don't look back because God has something better for you this way. And we know the rest of the story. Lot's wife, she turned and she looked back because she was more concerned about what was back here rather than what was, con- what was in front of her. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 17 that that's what the last days will be like. There are many passages from Scripture that we could go to this morning to look and to get glimpses of what those last days will look like. But as Larry has already read for us this morning, I believe our passage this morning gives us probably one of the clearest pictures of the spiritual, but not only the spiritual, but the social climate that will be taking place in the last days. Notice verse number 1 of our text this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse number 1. It says, This know also that in the last days, I want you to notice the very next word, the word perilous. It says, Perilous times shall come. Now, the word perilous actually means this it means difficult, troublesome, hard, means violent, it means savage, and it also means dangerous. Let me ask you a question Does anybody believe that we're living in difficult or dangerous times? Does anybody believe or does, is there anybody in this room that would agree that maybe we're living in a time of savage behavior? I mean, it's amazing as we look around and see the things that are taking place. In fact, I texted my pastor friend down in Mississippi this morning. I said, man, we're living in perilous times. We're also living in exciting times because we still have breath and we still have the opportunity to share the love and the truth of Jesus with people. How amazing, how exciting is that? Oh, listen, difficulty and danger are going to abound in the last days because the Bible says evil will be running rampant. It will be running rampant. In fact, if we look around today, we look at behavior of people. Evil is not only accepted in 2018, evil is being promoted. Am I right? Or am I, or am I out there on, on a limb by myself? Everywhere I look, evil is being promoted. In fact, do me a favor real quick. Uh, turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. I want us to look at what was going on in Isaiah's day. And you say, Wow, this was Isaiah's day. I mean, is anything like that going on today? Well, let's take a look and see if we can see some similarities uh, to Isaiah's day. Isaiah chapter 5. Say amen when you get there. Amen, amen. Isaiah says this is his time. He says, whoa, in verse number 20. Sorry, drop down to verse number 20. He says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Uh, 2018, anybody see that? Okay, let's keep reading. He says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's only one verse. Go to verse 21. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. Hello. Got a lot of people think they're smarter than everybody else. I love it, I love it, I love it. Let me tell you, I make no claim to be the smartest guy in this room because I am not. Anytime I'm in a room with my wife, I know I'm the second smartest person in the room. All right, listen. Notice what Isaiah says. He says, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine. I don't even want to stop there. 
and men of strength to mingle strong drink. Verse 23, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Justify the wicked for reward. It's not, listen, evil is not only accepted, it's being promoted in the last days. Are we living in the last days? I think we are. Listen, perilous times are godless times. Today, it's amazing to me that you and I as believers, if you and I, as Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 11, if you and I follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness, you and I are branded. I'm branded if I follow after righteousness as being narrow-minded. Anybody? You ever seen that argument? You're narrow-minded. You're not only narrow-minded, uh, sir, you're antisocial. If you follow after righteousness, if you follow after uh, uh, godliness, you're, you're, you're not only narrow-minded, you're antisocial. In fact, if I follow after righteousness, if I follow after godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, as Paul says there in that one verse, that's only one verse of Scripture, right? I'm not only narrow-minded, I'm antisocial. And guess what? Here's another label they've thrown on me. I'm intolerant. I no longer love you because I follow after godliness, faith, righteousness, love, and blah, blah, yada, 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 yada. And not only am I intolerant, I am become dangerous. I'm become dangerous because I follow after righteousness. If I want to follow after godliness, if I, if I want my life to actually be lived in a way that communicates the same message that I'm telling somebody, like if I say, hey, you know, I believe that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and oh my gosh, you're intolerant. Don't you know that we need to coexist? With yeah, listen, I'm all about loving people, but I want to love people enough to share the truth with them. If you don't believe that God's word is truth, then what are we doing? Let's go down to IHOP and get a burger or something, right? Listen, we need to be willing to share the truth with people. And it's sad to me, and I don't know about you. I told you this was a difficult message to communicate. But our society today, those who practice deviant or sinful behaviors and lifestyles are applauded and praised while you and I are made fun of, ridiculed, and considered narrow-minded, intolerant, antisocial. What is going on? This, by the way, the passage I just read was Isaiah 5. 700 plus years before Jesus even came on the scene. This was what was going on in his day. Isn't it Solomon who said nothing new under the sun? In the last days, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Oh, in the last days, it will be like that day when Lot and his family left Sodom. Listen, we're living in perilous times. It's so sad. It's no surprise that we're we would be considered intolerant. There's no surprise to me that we would be considered narrow-minded or dangerous or whatever, whatever label they want to put on followers of Jesus Christ because in John chapter 15, Jesus actually told his disciples, he said that people will hate you because they hated me first. 
Oh, listen, all you have to say, I was talking about, uh, we were studying the Apostle Paul this morning in, in our Bible study class. Man, I want to encourage you, find a Bible study class, man. Get involved. Quit sitting there on the sidelines. Get involved. And I was talking about how that the Word of God is the lever that turns the world upside down. Either way you find it. If it turns the world upside down for you and you're transformed by the Word of God, man, your world has been turned upside down. What you was, you're not anymore, right? But, but if you are adverse or you're on the opposite side of that puppy and you don't want to trust Jesus, you don't want to believe God's Word, the world has been turned upside down. That's why the Jews hated Paul. That's why they chased after Paul. Listen, this is the time that we're living in and I just have to believe that the Lord is coming soon. I just have to believe that the Lord is coming soon. I don't stand before you and make any type of prophetic prediction of what day and what time that will be, but I know as that old song says, it may be morning or it may be at noon. I don't know when he's coming, but I know he's coming soon. He's coming soon, and I can't wait for that day that I see his face. Amen. In the next few, look back at our, our text. Because I want to get back to our text. I want you to see these words. I want to break down these words for you so that you see what our text is saying. Look at verses 2, 3, and 4. In our text this morning, the Bible says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. It's a beautiful list here. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Now I want you to notice the very first thing and we're going to work our way right through it. You say we're going to look at each word? Yeah, we're going to look at each word very quickly. Look at number one. It says lovers of our own selves. That means the exaltation of self. Me, myself, and I. Period. Look at the next word, covetous. It says they're going to be in the last days. People are going to be covetous. That means that there's going to be people who love their money and their possessions. The whole idea here is of uh, more, bigger, better. I want more money. I want more of this. I want bigger of this. I want better of that. It's just that desire to have more, 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 more. Nothing will ever suffice. Somebody who has a covetous spirit. Uh, those that are boasters. Boasters are nothing more than uh, literally what the word means is windbags. These are, that's actually what the word means. Boasters, windbags, pretenders. The idea of a boaster is those who are always bragging about what they have or what they have done. But here I want to encourage you. Let's be reminded we need to be very careful because if you have anything or if you've done anything, we need to give glory to who allowed us to get it and do it. Amen? Remember, there's only one person. There's only one named Jesus, and he's the one who has given us and done anything through us. Then notice Paul, it shouldn't be surprised that Paul mentions the proud. This is the person who is prideful or arrogant. In fact, the Bible says, we know this in, in Proverbs 16, 18, the Bible says, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 3, the Bible says, for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Oh, be careful if you have a little streak of pride running inside of you because the idea here is to feel like you are better than everybody else. It's that, in fact, I looked this up the other day. We, we've phrased it this way. Somebody who is a prideful or, or a boaster, this kind of idea, is, is the idea of I have an air of superiority. Oh, I see you little people down there. This is... 
this is, that's, that's somebody who's proud. Have you ever met somebody who thinks they're better than everybody else? Maybe. Maybe. Just maybe. You know, I read this book one time called The Man in the Mirror. We have to be careful that we're not that person. Andrew Murray says, the moment you think you're humble, you're not. Oh, listen, this is so dangerous. See, because pride can be hidden in the heart, but it can also openly be displayed. Then he says, uh, the next thing he says there in verse number two, he says, blasphemers. The word here used is the idea of insulting, railing, or reviling somebody, or cursing somebody. Usually when we say the word blasphemy, we think of blasphemy against God. That's right, you were right correct answer. We usually think of somebody who said, man, that guy, you need to be careful about blaspheming the name or God, right? The name of God or God himself. Have you ever considered that people blaspheme against other people as well? We not only, if you're, if you know somebody who has uh, got a problem with blaspheming, he's not just blaspheming against God. She's not just about blaspheming against God. Chances are they're blaspheming against men and women. Listen, blasphemers speak evil of God. They speak evil of God's children. And they actually speak evil. You can go to the Psalms. Psalm 1 is a good place to go. They actually speak evil against God's work. Anything that's done for God is blasphemed. Here's one that I know everybody's going to be excited. Look at verse 2 again. It says, they'll be lovers of their own self, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. And then here's one. And young people, I want you to know that everybody in this room is a child of somebody. So I'm just not talking to you, right? Look, but it says, I have to address it because it says, disobedient to parents. In the last days, children are going to be disobedient to parents, right? That means... They're going to refuse to do what their parents say. They're going to rebel against a parent. They're going to reject the instruction from a parent. They're going to disrespect and dishonor their parent. In fact, no clearer passage do we have in Ephesians chapter 6 when the Apostle Paul writes to that church at Ephesus and he says these words. He says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee that thou mayest live long on the earth. Now here's, here's the point here with this disobedient to parents. If as a young person, you're not willing to honor, you're not willing to respect, and you're not willing to obey your parents, and I'm saying this forcefully on purpose, then don't tell me you're willing to go outside of the home and honor, respect, and obey anybody. If you ain't obeying dad and you ain't obeying mom, you're not honoring dad, you're not honoring mom, you're not respectful of your parents, then don't tell me you have the ability to go down here and work at a five and dime or some burger flipping joint and you're going to be honorable, respectable, and obedient to your boss. It ain't happening. I'll get off that message. Disobedient to parents. I want to give the kids something to get excited about. Here's the next one. Paul says... Not only disobedient to parents, but unthankful. No sense of gratitude or appreciation for what one has or received. There's this person, an unthankful person gives no thanks to God, and they give no thanks to man. And this behavior is born out of a sense of, and it's running rampant in 2018, like I've never seen before in my life. It's born out of a spirit of entitlement. You owe me this. This is what you owe me. You brought me into the world. 
You owe me this. You need to provide this for me. You need to give this to me. No, sir. Show Romans 121, please. Because you see, one of the key components of those that were ungodly in Romans 21, 121, notice what the Bible says. It says, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. You want to know why they didn't glorify God as God? It's right there, right after it. Neither were thankful. They're unthankful. They look at God. They look at everything that God has done from the creation of the world, from the heavens and the, and the beauty of the splendor of God's creation, and they they like, ah, yeah, thank, that's what I deserve. No, you don't deserve anything. What I deserve is death and hell and judgment. But the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, listen, unthankful. Listen, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 reminds us that we are to be thankful in everything. It doesn't say for everything, but in everything. And folks, this is the word of God. This isn't the word of Greg. So if you have a problem with the word of God, it, your problem's with God, not with Greg. Right? This passage is a difficult passage, and I'm actually thankful that I had two weeks to marinate on this before presenting this message, because it's very difficult to present this message to the body of believers. But this is what Paul says to, to, in this passage to Timothy. Notice the next thing. The last thing in verse number two is the unholy person. The unholy person is someone who's lost all sense for decency. The unholy person is someone who's governed by their own personal passions. The unholy person is someone who has no problem with flaunting wickedness. The unholy person is the person who's lost all respect for a holy God, for his holy word, and for holy living. The unholy person says, no, I don't want any of God. I don't want any of his word. And I don't want to be reminded that he is holy or that his word is holy or that I ought to live holy. Don't, don't, don't preach 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 to me. Don't tell me as he is holy, I need to be holy. Because an old unholy person doesn't want that. In verse number 3, Paul continues and says that in the last days there will be people without natural affection. In other words, this, this means that they will have abnormal affection and love. It's the lack of, it's literally, I'm, I'm giving it to you straight this morning, folks. You can go home as the Bereans did and study it yourself. But it is literally the lack of and the abuse of normal affection and love. Essentially, it means satisfying whatever the flesh wants, whenever the flesh wants it. I do what I want. And so what Paul is saying is that in the last days, there's going to be little affection that's normal, right? It's not going to be normal. It's not going to be natural. There's going to be little affection between husbands and wives. Hello. There's going to be little affection between parents and children. There's going to be little affection between friends. And most of all, Paul says, there's going to be little affection for the Lord and his church. Oh, without natural affection. Listen, for the person who has, is without natural affection, I was saying this in our Bible study class, the Lord will always come second, third, four, fifth, keep on, sixth, seventh. The Lord will never come first for a person without natural affection. The Lord will always be put on the back burner of one's heart and life if you're without natural affection. Truce breakers, also in verse number three, in the last days a barrage of broken promises and covenants will be the norm. False accusers, 
By the way, that means a man will no longer be a man of his or her word. Right? Truce breakers. Uh, false accusers. False accusers. This is essentially a, a person who is a slanderer. In fact, none of you would think about, because most of you know that I stopped carrying my wallet because I don't have any money anyway, but you notice, right, you would never come up to me, Chuck, and try and pickpocket me. Most of us would never think to go and try and pickpocket somebody or to steal from somebody, and yet I look around, and it's become so easy to slander somebody, to talk about somebody, to rob somebody of their good reputation, to spread false rumors. Oh, these are the last days that we're living in when we live with false accusers. In fact, the Greek word right here where it says false accusers, are you ready for it? The Greek word is diabolos. Do you know what that means? Devil. The false accuser, the person in the last day, it's diabolos. It means devil. Here's what someone said. It has been said that the devil is the patron saint of all slanderers, and of all slanderers he is chief. The false accuser, or in other words, in Scripture, in the Greek, diabolos, devil. This is who Paul says to Timothy in the last days, this will be one of the things going on. Also incontinent, the person who's undisciplined or uncontrolled, have you ever met somebody who has no self-control whatsoever? It's just like, no self-control. doesn't matter what's going on. This person cannot control his or her passion for anything. It doesn't matter whether it's food, sensuality, sexuality, drinking, pornography, whatever it is. A passion that grips and enslaves a person. This is what takes place with an incontinent person. Also, fierce behavior. I saw a Gatorade, it's a flavor now, it's called fierce. But in the Bible, the word fierce means somebody that's untamed, somebody that is savage, somebody that is brutal, the untamed, it's like an untamed wild beast. Paul goes on, he says, they're also in the last days, they'll be despisers of those that are good. I think that speaks for itself. There are going to be people who despise anything good. They're going to despise any, anything to do with morality, anything to do with justice. Listen, so much of the people will be afraid uh, in the last day. They'll be embarrassed that they won't stand up for what's right. We see that going on? It, it, it'll be so difficult in the last days. Won't speak up for what's right, won't stand for what's good, and won't say no to what they know is wrong. In the last days, this is what Paul's saying. In verse 4, he says there'll be traitors, one who betray trust, commitment, and friendship. There'll be heady people, those who are rash or headstrong or reckless. He says there'll be high-minded people, those that are puffed up and conceited. And, and that's the idea of a person that's so educated, so scientific, so advanced, so high in position or authority, ability, or gifts that they feel self-sufficient. Listen, I'm more educated than you, Pastor. I'm, I'm smarter than you. I don't need the fellowship of my brothers and sisters in Christ because I'm self-sufficient. That's a dangerous road to walk, and it's not a biblical road to walk. Listen, this is what Paul says. High-minded people. Listen, Romans 12. In Romans 12, verse number 16, the Bible says, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceit. Listen, Proverbs 26, 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? Question mark. Then the Bible says there is more hope 
of a fool than of him. Oh, high-minded people will be running rampant in the last days. And then last, and you guys are saying, thank you, Lord, we're at the end of the list. Paul says this, that in the last days there'll be people who are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. See, truly times are perilous when there are more people loving pleasure than there are people loving God. In 1 John chapter 2, you know this passage. In verse number 15 and 16, the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. James chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible reminds us that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Oh yes, listen, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is telling us that all these things will be evidences of the last days. And you say, well, thank you for that message. That was such an encouraging message. What do I do with it? Well, the reality of this passage is that I stopped on purpose at verse number 4. But I want you to be reminded that verse 5 comes next. Guys, show what verse number 5 says. You see, because what Paul was telling Timothy, and here's where the rub comes. Here's where this gets a little difficult. In verse number 5, Paul was telling Timothy that these traits of people in the last days are not going to be just traits of people outside of the confines of the church. They're going to be the traits of people within the church. Notice what verse 5 says. Having a form of godliness, but will deny the power thereof. Listen, the word form, in fact where it says having a form of godliness, that word form is the word semblance. Semblance. It says they will have an appearance of godliness but they will deny the power thereof. So in other words, what the last days, what Paul is saying is that in the last days, there are going to be a whole lot of, and I've dubbed it this way, claimers. There's going to be a lot of people claiming to know God. There's going to be a lot of people that claim to be religious. But the reality is Paul is saying that they may claim to know God, they may claim to be religious, but their claim, their religion, their so-called religion will be powerless. There might be form, but there'll be no force. There might be religion, but there will be no reality of their faith because they will deny the very power of God in their lives. They will say one thing, but they will do another thing. This is the evidence of whether we are living in the last days or not. And so the big question, the honest question is for us to ask the question, Lord, Lord, is it me? Are you speaking to me today, Lord? Are you, are you telling me I need to get rid of my pride? Lord, are you telling me I need to get rid of my covetous attitude? Lord, are you telling me that I need to be careful how I slander other people or false accuse people? Lord, are you telling me that I need to be careful Lord, are you telling me that I need to repent? Oh, let's be honest with the Lord this morning. You see, because people who have a form of godliness, 
but deny the power of. They may be people who profess to know Christ. They may be people who have walked through the baptismal waters. They may be people who attend worship. They may be people who occasionally participate in outreach or they may occasionally show up for the Lord's Supper. They may be people who know and recite scripture and they actually may be people who every once in a while talk about God. But Paul says that they might have a form of godliness but they will deny the power thereof. And here's what I believe with all of my heart. I believe Paul underscores the entire problem, the entire picture of this message back at the beginning of verse number two. Let's go back and read verse number one and the beginning of verse number two. And the Bible says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Here's the key. And this is why I didn't go over it very much when I showed the list. He says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. You see, the reason, I believe the reason somebody is covetous, the reason somebody is a boaster, the reason we have proud people and blasphemers and disobedient parents and unthankful and unholy and unholy in the church is because we have people who love self more than they love God. It's called misguided love. It's a misguided love. In fact, Warren Wearsby said this. He said, the heart of every problem is a problem in the heart. The heart of every problem is a problem in the heart. Sir, ma'am, young person, you got a problem this morning? You got a problem first in the heart. You say, well, how dare you say my problem is a problem in the heart? I'm not talking about if you're sick and you need medicine and you need care. I'm talking about if you're struggling with pride, if you're struggling with covetousness, if you have a problem being a boaster, if you're a blasphemer, if you're fierce, if you're incontinent, if you're a false accuser, if you're unholy, if you're unthankful, if you're exhibiting these characteristics in your life, the problem isn't somewhere else to be found in a book. The problem starts in the heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, right? But also out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth not only speaketh, but the life liveth. We live out of the abundance of our heart as well. Listen, we need to remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, he taught that the first and greatest commandment was to love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, with all of thy mind. Uh, their mind. And then remember he said the second one was like unto it, to love our neighbors as ourselves. But self-love causes me to focus on, you got it, me. Self-love causes everyone and everything else to come second. Self-love also causes me to walk according to my will and my ways instead of God's will and His ways. Oh, listen, self-love, when we have self-love, we do and go after whatever we want. <clears throat> In reality, when somebody loves themselves most... They may talk the talk, but they very rarely walk that talk, right? They very rarely walk it. Talk about it, but they don't walk it. Listen, because God's power is never appropriated. I can't walk according to his word. I can't follow after. If I'm not following after righteousness and godliness and love and faith and meekness and, and all these things, then I'm not going to live that way. If I'm following after the love of self, then those things aren't going to be natural. In fact, I put here, if a person's focus is faulty, they may confess one thing, but chances are they're going to live another way. If our life has never been genuinely changed, then something is wrong. Because my Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, 
See it? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are become new. It's like that great African-American pastor. I was sharing this on Wednesday night. John Jasper in the 1800s, he used to say this. He said, if you is what you was, then you ain't. A lot of truth to that simple statement. If you is what you was, then you ain't. If you say that you have a relationship with Christ, but you deny the power of Christ working in and through your life, then that's between you and the Lord. You say, are you saying I'm not saved? No. Not my job to say whether somebody's saved or not. My job is to cast the seed. Keep spreading the word. Keep sharing the love of Christ with people. I had somebody come up to me and they wanted to get me into to a, a, a political debate not too long ago. And this lady had one intent. She had one intent. Was to get this pastor into a heated discussion. Well, what do you think about this? Well, what do you think about this? Well, what do you think about this? And they were all political things. They were all about the, the affairs of what's taking place in 2018. I think a whole lot about it. But my ministry, my ministry is to share the love and the truth of Christ with people. That's my job. As a messenger, as a proclaimer of the gospel, I'm to be sharing the love and the truth of Jesus Christ with people. Oh yeah, I have, added, I have uh, ideas and opinions about all these things, but scripture tells me that I'm to put off the old man. I'm to kill or to mortify the deeds of the old man and put on the new man, which after Christ is created in righteousness. Oh yes, and here's what I know. The only way that I can be successful in following after righteousness, the only way that we can be successful in this regard is to have God's power working in and through us. And this is where we find His power. His Word is power. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to bring about life, and the Holy Spirit uses God's Word to bring about the transformation in our life that God wants to see. Paul said in Romans 1.16, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Oh, listen, truly, the word of God is the antidote for perilous times in the last days. In fact, if you look around, you see religion is getting popular, isn't it? You see every church, every wind of doctrine being started. You got a church started here. You got a church started here. You got this church. You got this startup church. And listen, I'm all about sharing the gospel. But don't be fooled. Not every church is preaching the gospel. Right? Not everybody's going to tell you that there uh, is a Savior who came to pay the penalty for our sin. They're not going to share that with you. There's a lot of churches feeling a feel-good message, and that's up to them. That's between them and the Lord. But here's the reality of the day is, listen, not everything that glitters is gold. The Bible is the power, the Word of God. It's our two-edged sword. You want victory in your life. You want to overcome this covetous behavior. You want to overcome become a lover of your own selves. You want to overcome being a blasphemer. You say, man, I, I've got a fierce attitude. I've got a, I've got a characteristic. I, I, I've, been, I've been slandering somebody. I've been talking about somebody when I don't even know the truth. Then you need to get back to the power of God. And you find that in his word. And then repent of it and ask God to change your life. Listen, if you need to be born again spiritually this morning, you say you've never trusted Christ, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, God's word has the answer. It's where he tells us 
all about Jesus. Oh yes, the truth of God's word can not only save you and forgive you and justify you and sanctify you and purify you and transform you, but it will transport us one day to the glories of heaven. Oh, you need to be saved. God's word has the answer. If you want to know God's will for your life, I run into people all the time saying, Pastor, pray for me. We're, we're praying about what God's will is for me. God's word. God's word and the counsel, the multitude of counselors of people around you. God will reveal his will for you and for your life. Oh, get into God's word. If you need to recommit yourself this morning, you say, man, I see myself in the mirror here and I don't like what I see, then recommit yourself and ask God to rebuild that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you need to ask God to help you rebuild a relationship with your family or friends. Oh, he could do that as well. The answer is found in God's word. If you need to be set free from the bondage of sin, no matter what it is, God's word has the answer. Now, here's what I want you to do. In the same passage, I want you to notice what verse 14 and following says. Because Paul talks to Timothy and he says, here's the, here's the idea, man. Here's the last day. It's going to be perilous times. People are going to be like this. But I want you to notice what Paul reminds Timothy about over here in verse 14 and following. He says, no matter what, Timothy, even though you may face perilous times, maybe you're living in the last days, Timothy. We don't know. No matter what. Notice what he says here in verse 14. He says, but continue thou in the things that thou hast learned. The word there, continue, means to remain or to stay the course. He says, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He's referencing a time when Paul's grandmother and mother influenced his life with the word of God. Then he says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. What he's saying there, it's profitable for doctrine. In other words, what is right. The word of God is profitable for you to teach you what is right. And then he says it's not only profitable for doctrine, he says it's profitable for reproof. It's also able to teach you what is not right. You don't need to go out to some self-help book. God has given you the book. He'll teach you what's not right. And then he says it's not only profitable for doctrine, for reproof, but it's for correction. God's word is able to teach you how to correct and get right. He says you got a problem? God's word will give you the instruction you need to know how to repent and how to get right. But then Paul says this, but he also says that the word of God is profitable for instruction in righteousness. He said it's not only going to teach you what's right, what's not right, how to get right. He said it's instruction in righteousness. It's going to teach you how to stay right. God's word will teach you how to stay right so that you don't go wrong again, so that you don't make those mistakes again. But I can tell you this, the less I have this in my life, the more I'm going to struggle with what's right. The less I have of this in my life, the more I'm going to have problems of not knowing how to get right, how to stay right, and how to do right. Oh, guys, the word of God, he concludes by saying that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Guys, I don't know where you are this morning, but I want you to know something. Our God is also long-suffering. Our God is loving. He is patient. He is kind. As somebody shared with me this morning, 
God is good all the time. God is good, right? He's not only good all the time, all the time he is good. I said that we had to, that the Bible says that we're to give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. We're to give thanks in everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I didn't say you had to give thanks for everything. But even in the valleys of life, can we not be thankful to God? Even when things aren't going the way you want them to go or expect them to go, can you not get on your knees and give God the glory for His rich mercy and love and grace in which He has shown to every one of us in sending His only Son to die on the cross for the sins of the world? And if you've never trusted Christ today, you'll never have a better opportunity than right now to just ask God, God, forgive me. I don't even know what I need to say, but I know this. I need you in my life, and I need you to forgive me of my sinfulness. And I need you to come into my life, and I need you to begin to change me. I need to get in your words so that I know what's right. I know how to stay right, and I know how to do right. And all these things, God, I need you to do it. Because without him, we'll not be able to do it. Maybe your heart's prayer would be, God, help me to rebuild that relationship with you. <clears throat> that if I'm honest today, I know my relationship with you is not where it needs to be. It takes a big man and a big woman, a big young person, to be honest with God and say, God, I know I'm not where I need to be. Would you work in my life? Would you help me to rebuild that relationship with you that I once had? Would you do it? I pray that you'll do that. I pray that you'll trust Christ today. Whatever your need is, this is the greatest opportunity that you and I will ever have. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.